Well, it is great to be with you. I love coming to this house, and I love the fact that the faux barrier, which are curtains, keeps getting pushed back. <laughs> that makes me really happy. And you all are blessed to have Pastor David and Megan and the entire... I'll let you ooh on that one. You can do that. You can do that, yeah. You're really blessed to have these people as your primary shepherds, the ones who look over your souls every day and give an account to God for who you are. I can't think of better folks with whom I could walk and deploy to this area to help reach Sterling and Northern Virginia for God. So every time I think about David and Megan, I have happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. Fabulous people, really are. Well, um, today is Palm Sunday, and you've been given those branches for a reason. We as a congregation love to at least look at the ecclesiastical calendar and say, what Sunday should we emphasize for what point? Now there's the obvious. There's Easter and there's Christmas. Uh, but Palm Sunday is pretty significant, and it is the moment that allows us to understand what we need to emphasize for the next week. And our prayer and fasting as a people is really important to us. Now, I know fasting is anathema to most of you, and you, you don't even know what I just said. <laughs> I, I, know, I know fasting is just, why do it? Uh, food God gave for us to eat. We, we, we need it to live. Why in the world are we going to forsake it intentionally? Um, well, some of, us, some of us need to be seen a little less of. Just a thought, just a thought. <laughs> Secondly, fasting allows us the privilege of understanding that which we need most. Now, there's no question that we need food. But when you, when you feel the pangs, P-A-N-G-S, of deprivation from not having that which your body needs, it's supposed to be a reminder of that which you spiritually need even more. And Job said it like this, that saint that went through stuff you never want to go through. I need you and your word more than my necessary food. And so there's, a, there's, a, there's something that happens to the soul of a person when they say, no food, all God. Something changes in their heart. They come out of the fast a little bit more mature than they went in understanding more about their character or lack thereof and knowing what they need to do to improve so that they can be what they always wanted to be. You know, you know that prayer we, always, we all prayed when we first got right with God, Lord, make me like you. That allows us the privilege of knowing how far we got to go, the lacks in our own soul. And during the time that we do fast, we grow. Secondly, there are things that happen during the fast outside of the things that go on in your soul. If you look in Isaiah 58, it says your light will appear just the dawn will come. Healing will come to you more quickly than it would otherwise. Yokes will be broken over people's lives. You who are not agrarian in your orientation, a yoke is that which you put over an animal. You tie it to a cart or a buggy, and then you sit on the buggy, and that yoke allows you the privilege of controlling one or two animals, preferably two. Generally, you don't put a yoke on one because there's no point. You've got reins. But if you've got two, you put a yoke on them and tie them together so that they can walk together breaks yokes that would bind you to things that you should not be bound to. Fasting does stuff. And so this day, 
allows us the privilege of understanding that which we need to adjust for seven days from now. And so we're going to look at what Palm Sunday was when Jesus walked into Jerusalem on that cold. Turn with me over to the book of Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 9 through 11. The the title of this message is Inspection Day. Inspection Day. It says in verse 9, Those who went, went in front... And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 11. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. Lord, help us. We study your word today, please. There are two things I'd like to highlight from this passage. One, surface supplication. And then two, what it means to survey to the core. This was a big day for the people in Israel. Big day. Now, it had been building for some time. The popularity of Christ had its ebbs and flows, neither of which affected who Jesus was. He, he cared little about how people cared for him. He was not dependent upon people to make him feel like he mattered, to give him a sense of significance in the earth. He knew who he was in God. He knew the purpose for which he had been sent on the planet. And if people followed, great. If they didn't, okay, I'm still going to do the will of God. But things now were really building. Somewhere between four and six months prior, we see Luke chapter 9, verse 52, and it says... Jesus knew that his point or his moment of ascension was upon him. And he began to make his way from Galilee, which was the home, his home, down to Jerusalem for the last time. And everybody knew something was going to occur. This was his last trip to Jerusalem as he was. But they thought it was his last trip to Jerusalem before he took the the throne, the natural throne. Jesus knew it was his last trip to Jerusalem as he was in human form. But he didn't. He tried to tell them, but they couldn't figure it out. Every time he said, by the way, when I go to Jerusalem, they're going to treat the Son of Man like this. They're going to beat him. They're going to flog him. They're going to crucify him, and he's going to rise on the third day. All, the, most, the people most close to him would say this, may it never be. That can't happen. To which Jesus had to firmly rebuke them, namely Peter, and say, Satan, get behind me. Now... It's not a good day when Jesus calls you Satan. That's not a good day. Now, I'm not quite sure whether he really called him Satan or whether he realized that Satan was speaking through him and kind of looked up to the sky and said to the atmosphere, Satan, get behind me. I'm not going to listen to what he's saying. Either way, Peter had to feel like that's not very encouraging. Either I'm inspired by something that I should not be inspired by or he's actually calling me the devil. Not a good day. Every time he tried to tell them what was going to happen, they wouldn't have any of it. Why? Because they had expectations. It wasn't that they were concerned about what Jesus was going to go through. Peter wasn't saying, he wasn't saying, may it never be because I love you so much. 
He was saying, may it never be because that affects what happens to me. You die, where do I go? I mean, they crucify you, they might crucify me. It's like you can't. You said that thing, a servant can't be above his master, nor a pupil above his teacher, so if they get me, they get you, they get me. Wait, wait, may it never be. Everybody had expectations. The crowds were building. People were now. J- Jesus had to, for the first two and a half years, three years, he had, to, he had to let people know who he was. He wasn't promoting himself. He was just being who he was, where he needed to be. And that allowed people to understand who God was differently. It was amazing. And people had to recalibrate their understanding. I mean, they, they thought one thing, and now he was saying something different. They thought the difficulty ought to be that which is opposed. And, and, and an oppression needs to be that which is lifted off. And, and circumstantially, we need to be in a different place. And he came saying, blessed are you if you're persecuted. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If someone slaps you, don't slap them back. Their mindset was eye for an eye. Real quick. I mean, they already had their theology now. If I get hit on on my cheek, I'm coming back strong. I practiced. I know exactly how quickly I'm going to do it. Jesus said, if somebody slaps you, give them the other one too. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Who are you? Why are you teaching us this? We're under the oppression of Rome. They've got their foot firmly planted on our neck sociologically. What are you saying? We're not supposed to be here. We're supposed to be the head, not the tail. We're supposed to be above and not beneath. That's what my Bible in, 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 in Deuteronomy says. That's what the blessing of God looks like. It does not look like blessed are you if you are persecuted. Bless back. Pray for them. I don't understand this. They had to recalibrate. And this was his inaugural message. This was the Sermon on the Mount. And so it took them a little bit to try to figure it out. They still didn't all figure it out. But there were more people who were trying to be with him than there had ever been. And so he was coming down, down, down to Jerusalem. And you see in Luke, as you piece things together in chapter 9, the, the bandwagon that was building. I will follow you wherever you go. Somebody shouted from the crowd. Jesus said, oh, that's great. I'm looking for some people like you. By the way, um, foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Here, sit by me. (laughs) Sit right here by me. Let's go down to Jerusalem. Uh, wait, 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 what, what, what do you mean? What, what do you, I have an expectation now. You seem to have altered it a little bit. All of us come to God with an idea about what we want him to do for us. Every one of us. Whether you're here brand new, you're thinking, I need him to fix my life. I need him to fix my family. I need him to fix my body. I need him to get me a job. I need him to help me with my money. I got so much wrong with me. I need him to fix me. And God really is good at that. And he's he's not opposed to anybody supplicating him to try to address the needs in their life. He's not. But at some point, it's got to switch. When are you going to meet his needs? You can't be a baby all your life. 
There's a cry that needs to come when you have a need. But if you have a 12-year-old who is still crying for his bottle, we all say, what's wrong with you, boy? What is wrong with you? And there are a lot of 12-year-olds in the body of Christ that are still crying for their bottle. At some point, you need to go fix yourself a sandwich. You need to learn some things. At some point, you need to grow up. And then at some point, you need to take out the trash for dad. Mow the grass. You have to take responsibility in the house. And then at some point, you'll have your own house. And all you will be seen as is the wallet, (laughs) the pantry, the closet, and the roof. That's all they will know you best as. The one who provides shelter, clothing, food, and all their, their extras at the movie. That's all you'll be known as. Your whole life will be giving to somebody else. That's growth. We all come with expectations, but at some point, those expectations need to be set on hold. And this is the point at which they needed to be for Israel. You want to follow me? Let me tell you what it's going to be like. Animals have places that they can roost and rule. Birds have nests. Foxes have, have holes in the ground. But there is no place upon which the Son of Man's head in terms of leadership will rest when I go to Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't talking about being homeless. He was talking about being a leader who had no people to lead. Not because he didn't want them. They didn't want him. And everybody who was trying to follow him was following him to get a job. Please appoint me in your administration. I'd like to be Secretary of State. Peter Peter wanted to be Chief of Staff, no question about that. And then you've got James and John, sons of thunder, who wanted to call down fire on Samaria simply because Samaria would not allow them on their way down to Jerusalem during this period, would not allow them to stay in any of their hotels or get any of their food because the Samaritans didn't like the people in Jerusalem. They didn't like the Jews. And because they knew they were going to Jerusalem, they said, you can't stay here. Peter and John's response, simply because there were no vacancies, signs all over the hotels, they said, would you like us to call down fire from heaven on them? (laughs) What's wrong with you? You want to kill people? You want to destroy a hotel because they won't let us stay at their hotel? (laughs) They wanted to be Secretary of Defense, no question. That's what they were looking for. Everybody was trying to get an appointment. I'll follow you wherever you go. No, what you mean is you will follow me where you want to go. Expectations. Now, what we don't have in the book of Luke between 9 and chapter 19 is... The triumphal entry. We have it, but we don't have it as detailed as we do in Matthew and Mark. We don't have any of the disciples or or, or the throng of people crying out saying, Hosanna. We just see Jesus coming in on a donkey peacefully. But we don't have this term, Hosanna. But it means the same thing in terms of expectation that the people in Luke chapter 9 were trying to, to explain as they said, I will follow you. It means save now. That's what Hosanna means. I'm in a bad place and I need some help now. 
I'm not looking for 50 years down the road. I love it if my kids can benefit from your ministry and I can hand something down. But I need something now. Hosanna! It was not just a term of endearment like we think, think about it when we sing the songs on a, on a Palm Sunday. It means I need help now. It's a 911. And if they don't show up when you need them, you get mad at them because you paid your taxes. Why didn't the EMT show up? Where's the emergency squad? Save now. That's what they were crying. And then they said, save to the uttermost, the highest. The save now is kind of shallow. The save to the uttermost, they don't know what they're saying. The save now is, please, kick Herod out, the usurper of the, of the Jewish throne. He was an Edomite. He wasn't even a Jewish man, Herod, the ruler of the Jews. Deal with Pontius Pilate, please. We don't like him either. He's the puppet ruler from Rome. He was in Jerusalem. And our religious leaders, they aren't real great either. I mean, they're Jewish, but they don't like us. They use us. They're mean to us. They give us commands they themselves won't even help us obey because we don't understand it. And they look at us really bad when we break them, but we didn't know we broke them. Save me. Deal with these people and let us rise in power like the Old Testament says we should. Save us. You are the Messiah. The Messiah was the one who was to sit on the throne, the throne of his father David, and rule without cessation, a kingdom that would never have its end to its increase. And it would always expand. So there would never be a time when this person, the Messiah, was not on the throne and its kingdom would expand to, to encompass the entire earth. Save like that. And then save to the uttermost. Do anything else you want to do outside of my purview. Outside of the things I desire, you take care of it because you're in charge. You're the man. You know what's best. But see, that's the area where you sign on the dotted line without reading the fine print. I wasn't talking about that. Well, I, I, you need to be a better husband to your wife. You need, to, you need to listen more. And you're really short with your kids. That doesn't really display me to them. You, you want to make sure that they understand who I am by your fathering, and you're not doing a good job there. You're a little selfish, too. You always want what you want before everybody else in the family wants it. You've displayed some intolerance with other people's sins. When I've been very merciful to you, you have some real issues in your life, and I've been very patient. Yet you aren't patient with this person. You want me to save how? You want me to save them. You want me to save you from them. You want me to save the environment so you can function best. I'm trying to save you to the uttermost. You didn't read the fine print. I'm saving you from you. There's a lot wrong in you. A lot wrong. There's a lot wrong in Brett. A lot wrong. I wish it wasn't so. I'm doing what I can to try to figure out how to put a mirror in my face every day to see how messed up I am so I can get better. I really am. But I don't think I'm accelerating the process as quickly as it needs to be because I get a little discouraged when I'm not as good as I should be when I thought about what I could have been today, yesterday. Did you understand what I said? I was hoping that I'd be better today, yesterday, that I can get over what I went through yesterday by today, and it didn't happen. And so I'm thinking, well, when's it going to happen? Lord, I just don't progress as quickly as I want. 
Brett's got issues. Now, I don't have any, at least I, I know of, that, that disqualify me from doing what I'm doing. I'm good there. But you don't have to look far to find my flaws. I'm not going to advertise them regularly. <laughs> but you can talk to my staff. You talk to David and Megan. They've been with me a long time. Nothing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Excellent answer, Ray's coming. But I'm as human as I get. Human as I get. And I need to cry out to God all the time. Cynthia will tell you. In the middle of the night, she'll just hear this next to her. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Because I know me. I know me. And sometimes I don't like me. I'm not enough of what I need to be for you. I'm not enough of what I need to be for my family. I'm not enough of what I need to be for my church. I'm not enough of what I need to be for my community. But I keep seeing this vision about what I'm supposed to be. And I'm not there yet. And I'm 57. And I'm, I'm working out really hard. And I'm drinking nasty kombucha. And I'm trying to be as healthy as possible. So I can live long enough to realize what I'm supposed to be. The purpose for which he saved me. So I cry out at a deeper level of what Hosanna means beyond that. Which is, which is intended to make me comfortable. Lord, save me from me. Yeah. Don't just save me from my circumstances. Save me, Hosanna, from me. Yeah. I'm not in this anymore just to get an appointment or a job. I'm not trying to figure out how I can make my life have a sense of significance so I feel like it mattered that I drew breath for about 80. I really, God... I want you to save me from me for you. Please do that. And then he gets to Jerusalem. And the purpose of him coming that day is to survey. (laughs) Jesus is, it goes without saying, he's patient. He invented it. He already knows what's wrong. The disciples, if you, if you superimpose, overlay all the, the accounts of the gospel, they come into the city and they are looking at the buildings, the beautiful temple, which is much bigger than in Solomon's day. Not as glorious, but much bigger. And they're looking at all the edifices around the city and they're just they're saying, this is all. This is going to be ours, baby. This is, this is amazing. And then Jesus brings him into reality in a hurry. I mean, pulls that kite down to the ground now. By the way, there will not be one stone left upon another here. Uh, well, <laughs> now, wait, I don't. He must be speaking figuratively. He ain't talking literally. He's doing that metaphorical thing again. If his rulership is supposed to be all that and not stop, how can this city be destroyed while he's on the throne? Eh, Never mind. Okay, let's just go on with life. One of those sayings I, I didn't get again. And he comes into the temple, surveys the city, says, oh, Jerusalem, 
How I long to bring you close. Like a mother hen brings her chick under, chicks under her wings, that you would have none of it. He's mourning while everybody else is rejoicing. He sees things very differently than we do. He winds up in the temple and he looks around. And he sees money changers and people selling things there in the temple who are taking the place of people that could be praying. The spots are now occupied. And it was the court of the Gentiles. So there was a spot made in the temple for people like us who did not have a Jewish heritage to come in and to pray. That was beautiful. That spot did not exist in Solomon's day. It existed in Herod's temple. And it was, a, it, it was that the nations might come to, to pray. But, but everybody realized when you come to the temple, you needed to, to bring a sacrifice. You shouldn't come empty-handed. And the reason you came was to worship. And worship was not complete until you sacrificed. Here, I, Pastor Brett's going to say that again. Worship is never complete until yes, you sacrifice. Thank you, ever, ever. It's not mental assent. It's not intellectual recognition. It's not words that come out of your mouth that reference your love. Worship is not complete until you sacrifice. So there were animals that were required during that day for sacrifice. And the the Jewish religion was really public. So like you kind of knew what people did by the animals that they had to sacrifice. It wasn't like go behind, you know, the Catholics go behind a little curtain or little door and talk to somebody you can't see about what you did. You saw a brother bring in an ox, you said, oh. We thought. We, we, we didn't know, but we thought. <laughs> there were prescriptions right there, what you had to do. Anybody could read it in the Old Testament. You do this wrong, you bring this sacrifice. So it was real open. But the problem was that people didn't have the animals to sacrifice. Not everybody was a herdsman. Not everybody was a shepherd. Not everybody was an aviary, birds. Not every, you just didn't. And so what do you do when you're called to sacrifice an ox, but you don't have one? Or a sheep, and you don't have one? So you had to go buy one in order to sacrifice. Well, the people in Jerusalem were smart. I mean, when you, when you go to a, a, a Turk game or the Redskins over at FedEx Field, they don't even allow you to bring your lunch in. You, 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 you can't bring a turkey leg. <laughs> they want you to buy their food at their prices. And, and, and a hot dog cost you six fifty. You can buy twenty four over giant for six fifty. But they make it convenient. And so you say, okay, I want the experience. I want the, the, the nuance and all the ambiance of what it means to be at the game. And so you get a hot dog, you get some fries, and they've even gourmet it up. You you can get some, some stir fry if you want. There's a lot, and you wind up spending about 50 bucks for a snack. <laughs> and that's the issue. They get you because they can. You can't get it anyplace else. 
Same thing at the temple. There's nothing wrong with selling things in church. Nothing. If you do it right. If it doesn't take the place of something else that's supposed to be there. And you aren't gouging people. God ain't mad. But this did both. You want an ox? Cost you 2500 bucks. Wow, I mean, this is kind of scrawny. You can see the, you can see the, the, the ribs. <laughs> Go out and get your own. Okay. That was it. Jesus surveys, sees this thing going on. Folk making money the way they should not and taking the place of people who could be praying in that spot. He's not happy. Now, the beauty is this. He sees it. He's already cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry. And they went right back to what they were doing after he had done that. Now it's, and he's been to Jerusalem many times since. So he's seen what's going on. And he comes to, to Jerusalem now and he sees it again. He says, huh, you know, I probably need to address this. I'm gonna do it tomorrow. Simply because God hadn't dealt with you doesn't mean he won't. He's real patient. Real patient. He never flies off the handle. He never just moves out of emotion. He's calculating. And he's calculating on the basis of his mercy. And everybody ought to be grateful for that. He is so kind. He could draw the breath of life away from us at any moment and be perfectly justified to do so because we are sinners worthy of death. That we continue to breathe is amazing. And for every day we get to open our eyes. Thank you. That your mercy met me this morning rather than judgment for what I did wrong yesterday. the place probably at which we need to start every day so that we don't let the ingratitude creep into our souls and, and make us somehow begin to think God was neglectful or not caring because we didn't get what we wanted expectations he waits and he goes a mile he walks a mile and a half outside the city to his bedroom community in Jerusalem Bethany it's where Mary and Martha were and, and Lazarus. He walks a mile and a half knowing that he's going to take care of stuff tomorrow and sleeps, gets up in the morning, walks back in and says, time to do business. Cleanses the temple. Turns over tables. I mean, you talk about indignified. This is not the way we want to picture Jesus, is it? Taking a whip, literally making one. He sat there and made one, specifically patterned just to beat bread. My mother was very patient all the time. Which belt shall I use today? <laughs> and started beating people, turning over tables, saying my house is called to be a house of prayer. And you again have made it a den of thieves. Get out. 
even there is the mercy of God when God begins to clean your house. In here, your physical house, the church house, I welcome it. Lord, please. Now, I'd like a little notice because if I can clean it up before you get here, we can make that thing happen. That's good. I want to make you happy when you walk in. But if there is something not right, please clean it up. And however much it hurts, I'm going to be happier for the hurt. Inspection day. All of this in preparation so that our souls can be right for resurrection day. May God do some stuff on the inside of you this week to prepare you for how he wants to greet you next Sunday. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. You're, you're amazing. You're great. There's nobody like you. Please pour out your grace on this people. We love you with all of our heart. We're grateful for who you are. Is there anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Maybe you made a decision for the Lord, but gosh, your life now doesn't look anything like what a Christian's ought to be. If you fit in either of those categories, raise your hand high. I'd like to pray for you. I see those hands. Bless you. Once they're up, you can put them down. Anybody else want to get right with God today? All right, you who raised your hands, pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name.